You ever had somebody look at you, at, or you know, it, it may be in a may have been an argument, it may have been anywhere, and look at you and said, "Who do you think you are?" How many times have you yelled that at people driving on 75 when they cut you off? Who do you think you are? You know, you ever, like, can you imagine this? Imagine this. How many of you work in an office? Put your hand up real quick. How many work in an office? Okay. How many of you have worked in an office? Okay. How many worked in a warehouse and you were the, you know, you, okay, good. Imagine this. You come into work one day, and, and I'll give it to you this way. You know, for a short period of time in Texas, I was a telephone man, and, um, which is, runs in my family. And we had our own trucks, and our trucks were our office, okay? And one day I came back, and somebody had borrowed my truck over the weekend. <laughs> and everything was out of order. Now, if I could have found, no one owned up to it, you know, if I could have found, well, who do you think you are, man, messing with my truck? Imagine coming to work one day, your desk is moved, everything is, is changed, you've been put into a different area that you knew nothing about, and the, there's a new boss standing there, well, this is what I'm going to do. Well, who do you think you are, man? Everything was working good till you showed up. Here's the scene in Mark. Here's the scene. It's Wednesday in Jerusalem. Remember, Monday he came in, looked around, left, came back on Tuesday, had the uh, triumphal entry, leaves, comes back, and we, we're leaving out the fig tree because we looked at that last week, and he's standing in the temple again. After cleaning out the temple... Jesus now stands center stage in the courtyard. Now, it may sound kind of dramatic the way I worded that, but it's pretty much true. It has, it has become his classroom, his pulpit, but the beauty of it is that it was God's temple for one more day. This is it. It was God's temple for one more day. Remember in Ezekiel, remember the, it says that the Shekinah glory left the temple? Do you know it never returned until Jesus came in there as a baby and was dedicated? Now think about this. God coming to flesh. He's standing in the temple and all the religious leaders are hacked off at this guy. They're angry. Because why? The truth is being a dominant force once more in the temple by Jesus preaching and teaching in the temple. Because let's be honest with us. We've read through Mark. We're going through it. We've seen over and over again the lies that were being perpetrated in the temple and among God's people. Once more, the temple belongs to God just for a short period of time. Let me ask you a question. Here's where we're going to kind of look, okay? What area of your life are you questioning Jesus' right and authority to? Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. 
Mark chapter 11, verse 27. They came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and elders came to him and began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, and you answer me, and then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to be a real prophet. Answering Jesus, they said, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Does that sound like a junior high playground? <laughs> okay. And, you know, it's, 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 it's almost as tragically funny that Jesus looked at him and said, then I'm not going to tell you. Here's the attempted trap. Let's, let's go through the story. Can we do that? We're going to go through the story, okay? It's not a story, but you know what I mean, okay? The attempted trap in verses 27 through 28. There was an ongoing hatred for Jesus. We've seen that over and over again as we've been taking this journey through the Gospel of Mark. There was an ongoing hatred of Jesus by the religious leaders of the time. The incident in the temple that we looked at before is the very key to what we're going to look at today. The temple had been established for centuries. It had been run by chief priests and their junior officials. Now this young rabbi, now imagine this, this young rabbi, he's 33 years old approximately, okay? He's like the age of Jesse and Yoav, okay? This young cat comes walking in there, and he's taken over the place. And here's all these older more sophisticated and religious Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, and they had been doing this since before you were born, boy. And this young cat comes in there, and he's taken over, and the people are just drawn to him. They're asking themselves, who does he think he is? Who gave him the right to behave this way? This hatred was exposed earlier in Matthew, I mean Mark chapter 11, verse 18. It says, the chief priests and the scribes began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him, for the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. You know what astonished means? This is interesting. The word astonished means this. In a literal translation, it means to knock out of your senses. It's almost like a, Wow! I should have had a V8. Okay? It was, that's, now do you see what I'm talking about? I had to, I had to really use that because it went bing. Okay? That's exactly what they, they were just knocked out of their senses by this young rabbi who when he spoke, he spoke with authority that the, that the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the other rabbis didn't have. Now imagine this. 
Why don't we listen to him today? Why is his word that he gave us not knocking our senses off? Maybe because we're just like the Jews of that time. Let's go on. They ask him in verse 28, but what authority are you doing these things? Let's read that real quick. And, he be, and they, and it says, and began saying to him, they began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? Now, let me show you something real quick. That word authority is exousia in the Greek. And what it means this, it's interesting. It means the right, but listen to this, the right to do it, but also the power and might to do it. They weren't just asking him who gave you the right because you're a good speaker. They knew that he had authority. When he spoke, there was something different. So he said, who gave you the right and the ability, the power to do this? And what were they talking about? He was taken over the temple. He cleaned out the temple. This was the second time, the first time he used a whip. Can you imagine that? This carpenter rabbi walks in, sees what's going on, and says he walks out. And he makes a whip out of some cords, and he walks back in, and he beats the guys out of the temple. Let's get real. Let's not play games and make it all like Jesus walking in and goes, get out. He was furious, zealously furious, and he drove them out. What did, we, what did Kelly read this morning? He has torn us. We forget that side of God, don't we? As the official guardians of the law, not guardians of the galaxy, guardians of the law, the members of the Sanhedrin have both the right and the responsibility. Now let me show you this. They had a right to ask him this. We think that they're being just real... Hoity-toity. But they weren't. They had a right to ask him this. Just like every pastor and elder in a church has a right to protect what's going on in the church and what's being taught and what's going on, what's happening from anybody coming in. They had a right given to them by God in Deuteronomy 18, which we won't look at today. We don't have time to go through all that. As the members of the Sanhedrin both had the right and the responsibility to investigate anyone who claimed to be sent by God and that included Jesus. They had a right to do this. I commend them for doing that. Yet, what's the problem here? Their motive was evil. The leaders knew that in the past, Jesus had claimed that his authority had come directly from God, and they assumed he would do that so he would do so again. If so, they would be able to accuse him of blasphemy and call for his execution. That was a trap. They were going, tell us again that you're God. Tell us again. Because you say it again, we got you. But Jesus said in John 3.35, he said this, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. It all belonged to him. He had the right to do it. Jesus also claimed 
authority to forgive sins in Mark chapter 2, verse 10. It says, by, by, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. What's that word authority? He has a right and the might. It's exousia once again. Because sometimes authorities, the word authority is translated from dunamis, which is just power. Exousia combines them both. He had the right and the authority. You know what the leader's response was to that? If you look in Luke, it's this. The scribes and the Pharisees began to, re began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Because right after that it says, no one has the right to forgive sins but God himself. But the sad part, as we've seen over and over again, listen to me, heed this word this morning. They knew who he was, but they decided in their hearts that he wouldn't have any authority in their lives. Jesus' authority, and listen, hear me on this. We get scared as people. Because we're used to being in control, which is because of the fall. We're used to being in control. Okay, we put on the facade that we're in control. We put on the, the, the coat and everything else to look like we're, everything's going good. And when God asks for another area in our life, which he does at the very beginning, he asks for all of it. But the sad part about it is in what we call a journey, we just slowly give him sections and sections and sections, which shouldn't be. It should have been all given at the very beginning. But yet, I, I, I submit this to you. I think one of the reasons is because we know we have to give up our control. That's the reason we get scared. How about this? I had a very good friend of mine. He was a biker. He was with the outlaws down in Florida. I've told you about Chuck a number of times. And Chuck was, uh, for a while, he was what was called the enforcer or the sergeant of arms. And if anybody got out of line in one of the other chapters somewhere else in Florida, they'd send Chuck to go straighten it out. That's how bad to the bone this guy was. Chuck got radically saved, radically saved. On a Sunday morning in a, in a little non-denominational semi-Pentecostal church. And he just, he, it was an overnight change just like that. And as time went on, believe it or not, they made the man an elder. How would you like to mess with that elder? <laughs> tell him no. I had to, one time, I'll tell you this, he, he won't mind me telling this because he said it publicly. One time we were um, during the uh, 90s, and I was the worship pastor at the church and also an elder. And, um, and Chuck was there. And a number of people had just come back from the Toronto Revival. Okay, and so there was a lot of shaking and stuff when the worship was starting. They, ah! you know, all those wild things, and we won't get into those today. Nothing wrong with them, but we won't get into them. And this one guy was just loud and boisterous, and the pastor was okay with it. And I was leading worship, and, and I'm looking at Chuck, and Chuck's going. So I'm going, okay. I'm looking at Chuck. I'm trying to get his attention because we're, we're very, to this day, we're still close. And, and he looks at me and goes, and I went, I'm playing guitar, and I just kind of go, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Calm down. You know? And so after the service, he comes up to me and goes, come here. You know, when he said, come here, you came. It's like Jesus. 
And I said, what? And he goes, this is the way Chuck wanted to handle it. He goes, if he growled or he barked or he rolled on the floor one more time, I'm throwing his butt over the balcony into the parking lot. I said, Chuck, what would that do for Jesus? He goes, clean his house out. And I go, Chuck, you know what happened? Two weeks later, the Holy Spirit hit Chuck, and he was on the floor rolling all over the place. <laughs> what was the point of this? I had no idea now. <laughs> but the beauty of it is this, is that God has authority to do these things in our life, okay? Jesus' authority was this. Jesus' authority is always in connection and always submitted to the very word and authority of God the Father. So if Jesus does this in our life, why are we scared of giving stuff up? If we say God is good, and if we say God is all love, and we, all this stuff that we just hear proclaimed all the time, which, um, don't get me wrong, why are we so afraid to give it? to? Because you know why? We don't want to give up the authority of our life. We still want to have a piece of control of it. And the sad part about it, we're going to find out in a minute what that is. Here's a little thing to think about. When believers pick and choose where Jesus is allowed to have authority in their life, they side with the scribes and Pharisees. Okay? Hang on to that. Let's look at the foiled attempt. Look at verse 29. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question and you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from me, or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why didn't you not believe him? And but shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to be a real prophet. Let's stop there. Here's a preface. He says, I will ask you one question. And you answer me. Jesus' response is a rabbinic practice, meaning what? It was used to force the people that he, the rabbi was talking to to think deeper than what they were doing at the moment. He was asking them to go to a deeper level. But Jesus used it to unmask their hypocrisy. Okay, before I answer this, let me ask you a question. If you answer this word correctly, I will answer you. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't coddle those who opposed him. Listen to me on this. Jesus didn't coddle those who opposed him in hopes of winning their favor. How many times do we do that? We, we want it, we're so afraid of offending somebody, we just kind of, hey, well, okay, let's just take it. We're all in process. Why are we afraid of, of a kind, gentle, word of God answer offending somebody? Why are we afraid of that? Why are we afraid? Do we think that, that we're going to hinder what God's doing? Do you think you have that power to do that? He says, my word's going to go forth, and it's going to come back prosperous, right? Did he say, my word's going to go forth, but if you mess it up, I don't know what I'm going to do. Let's get real. If God is God, if he's really God, why are we not believing that? Think about it. If he's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, 
Why do we think that we can hide from him, we can mess things up, and we can disobey whenever we want to? Why? I'll show you in a minute. Jesus, again, didn't coddle those who opposed him in hopes of winning their favor. He never retreated from who he was and never sidestepped the truth of God that he taught. Never. So he asked him this question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? He said, answer me. John the Baptist, as we know, was a forerunner of the Messiah, the greatest prophet who had ever lived up until that time. In Luke chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus said this of John, I say to you, among those born of woman, there is no one greater than John. Now watch what he says. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. You know what least means? It means this. It means humbler and smaller. We get this prosperity gospel that's preached today that it's all about you becoming great becoming wealthy becoming this becoming that and it's all about us it's all about me 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 the word of god says get smaller the word of god says be humbler god will bless you according to his very purpose in our life some will be wealthy some will not and i'm not going to take off on that today but i want you to understand something it's not This is going to sound very untheological, but it's very theological. It's not about you. And I've said that many, many times. It's not about you. It's about God. And how your life will bless and honor him. But in the midst of it, we find life. We have to die to find life. We have to give up to gain. This was something that the Pharisees... We're not teaching the people, and they refuse to believe and refuse to walk in. They made the temple their place. They made it their business. They made it to where they could profit from it. Jesus shut it down twice. They made it to where they were the preeminent ones, not God. They changed the worship, changed the rules every other day, just like bratty children on a playground. Because it was what they wanted, and they were going to own the place. And here comes this young rabbi, is taking it back to what it was originally supposed to be, and they tried their best to kill him. Let me tell you this. It's the truth. If you start walking with God, really walking with him, it's going to get alone, a lonely walk. It's going to be a lonely walk. Okay. Okay. John was chosen by God. He was to do what? To turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. He was preaching repentance and preparation for the Messiah. And Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 70 tell us that. Let me ask you a question. Think about this. Why did he have to preach repentance if the people belonged to God? You ever thought about that? Why did John come preaching repentance when the people believed they belonged to God? When they had the temple there, they had the worship there, they prayed at least a minimum of three times a day. They had everything set up, the religious hierarchy was all going. And it was all in the name of Jehovah, was it not? 
If that's true, if they were really walking with God, why did he have to preach repentance? Think about that. I'll tell you this, why? Because the nation had moved to apostasy. They abandoned the faith. You're going, where does that say? What did it say about the false teachers in, I believe it was Ephesus, that Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, they have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Is that not true? Is that not true today? You know what A.W. Tozer said? He says, when people won't want truth any longer, this is a paraphrase, then God's going to bring in the clowns. Watch TV on some of the churches and you'll find that out. doesn't mean they can't make a joke every once in a while, but they're going to bring in the clowns because why? They want their itching ears tickled. And we say that we're, no diff- that we're different than the biblical times? We're not. I, I will say this, I think we're worse. You may be thinking, Ron, you're beating us up today. I'm not beating you up. I'm beating me up, honestly, because I want my heart to get back even more. The phrase of baptism of John is meant for one purpose. It encompasses his entire ministry, and most importantly, it's this. It's his declaration that Jesus was the Messiah. That was John's sole purpose, was to get the people ready for the Messiah to come. So what did he have to do? Preach repentance. To bring them and turn their hearts back to God. Back to Jehovah. So if that's true, what was Jesus asking them? He says, was the baptism of John from God or from men? He was asking them this. Am I the Messiah or am I not? You see the point? They knew what he was asking them. Jesus challenged these leaders to declare whether they believed John's ministry was of divine origin or human origin. Here's their response. After it's all done, and I'm moving through it a little quicker, when it's all done, they realize that if they say this, they will affirm that Jesus is the Messiah. If we say that John's baptism was from, from heaven, we affirm that Jesus is the Messiah. We're going to be saying to this guy we want to kill is the son of God. And if we say that no, it wasn't, we're going to say John was a fake, then the people are going to get mad at us because the people believe he's a real prophet. So Jesus put him right in the spot of a, what they call rock and a hard place. And so they think they're going to get out of it. So they look at him and say, here's their response. We don't know. The leaders were not ready to give their approval that John was a true prophet since he publicly denounced them in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. He's standing there before Jesus came up, and he looks over, and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, some of the other religious leaders, and people were there, some of the Roman guards were there, and he looks and says, you brood of vipers, how would you like your pastor to say that on a Sunday morning? You're all going, don't you dare. How would you like to be walking into the town, town center mall and some guy standing out there screaming at you and pointing at you go, you brood of vipers. 
How about the public pool when you go down there, for, you know, to go swimming? There's some guy standing there preaching on the side of the pool, calling everybody a brood of vipers. We, we got it easy. We got it easy. Then they said, but if we say it from men, the people are going to get upset. Because denying the view and opinion of the people that John was a prophet would be the same, now listen to this, the same as rejecting and blaspheming God himself. So they didn't want to do that. So they realized that the only alternative was this. We don't know. But let me tell you something. Listen to me closely. This was the last major encounter that Jesus has with the, with the religious leaders. Why is that significant? Because they looked at him for the last time and they said, you're not God. When they said, we don't know, that wasn't, they, it wasn't saying that they didn't know. They knew who he was. We know that. We've seen it. They knew who he was and they rejected him. Now listen to me. Do we not do that at times? When we choose to disobey, we're saying, God, you're not in authority. You're not the boss. You're not God. Because if we realize he was God, then what would we do? We would submit completely to him. Not being perfect, but we would submit. Remember, it's not about perfection. It's about direction. Then Jesus looks at him and says this. Well, let me back up. When believers pick and choose what truth from God's word is allowed to have authority in their life, they side with the scribes and Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees looked at him. They said, we don't know. Jesus looks at him and says this, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. They didn't answer correctly. I wrote down here, Jesus had enough rejection. After three years of teaching and performing miracles to testify about himself, the Lord had provided sufficient proof that he was the Messiah. Did he not? John 5, 36 says this, but the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me, that the Father has sent me. We can't say the Pharisees, Sadducees, and, and, and scribes, and even the people did not know who he was. They knew. And we know. We know. We've heard this. You've been at, some of you have been in church all your lives. You know this. You've heard it. You've heard it faithfully preached to you. No, when Jesus looked at him and says, nor will I tell you why, but what authority to do these things? This is what he said. No further proof will be given to you. The leaders had fully rejected Jesus as Messiah, and now there was nothing more to say or do. They rejected the Messiah, and in rejecting him, they rejected God himself. John 12, 35 through 36 says this, so Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness will not overtake you. 
He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. He said this around the time this happened, actually probably after, just before the, what we call the Lord's Supper, just before a Passover is what was going on. He looked at the disciples and that's what he said to them. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Didn't John say that? In Deuteronomy chapter 30, and I'm going to close, verses 15 through 30, or actually, yeah, 30. And in Joshua 24, verse 15, Moses says to the people, and then Joshua repeats it in a shorter version. He says, choose you this day who you're going to serve. He looked at, Moses looked at the people and said, choose life. Because if you don't, the very curses that I'm going to send on the very nations that you're going in to possess will come upon you. Why? Why do you do that? For rejecting him. When we reject him, we step outside that common protection that we have. And when we step outside that, we're running our life. And so who's in charge? We are. The flesh is in charge. And anytime, and I've said this many times, anytime we walk in the flesh, in that sinful nature, not this, we're not talking about the actual literal flesh, we're talking about the sinful nature. When we walk in that and we choose that over God himself, the enemy has a God-given right from Genesis chapter 3 to harass us, harangue us, put us in bondage, whatever. He has that right because what did God say? You're going to eat dust all the days of your life. What was our flesh made out of? Dust. Why do you think that was said? But we play in this bog field of the flesh, of the sinful nature, of, of the world itself, and we think we can get away from this. We think we're going to be okay. Hear me. We think we can have sex before marriage and be okay with that. We think we can do whatever we want and be okay. We think we can look at porn and be okay with that. We think we can walk around and, and, and just all about me, 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 and, what are we, and we think we can be okay with that? Why don't we have revival? Because we don't believe we need it. We're happy without it. So we think. When believers pick and choose how much Jesus and his word is allowed to is allowed to have authority in our life. We side with the scribes and Pharisees and begin a slow fade into apostasy. You know what apostasy is? A simple definition is abandonment of the faith. And if we do that, we should then ask ourselves, who do you think you are? I want revival. I want to see it in my life. I've seen events of it over the years. I am praying actively hard 
to see God move in a way that is even greater than he did before. But I will tell you this, we've got to get hungry for him. And I'm, and I, 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 I don't know how to say it eloquently. I'm, and I'm not trying to be all that in a bag of chips. But I wanted to say this. I know that you guys are, the, are faithful. You come. But you know what? We need to be even more faithful. And I'm not talking about to services and stuff like that. In here. What do we want more? We sing the songs. I need you more, more than yesterday. I need you more. And at times, including myself, we lie. Because what do we do the week before, the day before? Why do we think we, we can get away with this stuff? And I'm speaking to me. You're going, what did you do? You know, if we knew each other very well, we wouldn't like each other. It's like the Ten Commandments. We say, well, we're doing okay. Have you ever lied? Yeah. You ever stolen anything in your life? Yeah. You ever looked at a person lustfully? Yeah. Well, then you're a lying thief who's an adulterer. Right? Am I wrong? Tell me I'm wrong. And we think we can get away with this. Uh, you're saying, but we can't be perfect. I, no, God knows we can't be perfect. He gave us grace in 1 John 1, 9, which is what? If we confess our sins, this is to believers. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. That's the grace of God because he knows we're not going to be perfect. But even in the midst of not being perfect, we've got to have a heart that is longing after him and longing after perfection which is his life in me, to be transformed on a daily basis more and more. But we're not going to be transformed when we're, when we're just walking in our flesh more than we're walking in the Spirit. Why do you think John preached to a people that said they knew God repentance? Because they needed repentance. They needed to repent. They were far away from God. They made their lives. They made their jobs. They made their Everything they're idols in, and we're not doing anything different today. Sex is an idol today. It's in everything. What do we say? Sex sells. And you can't even watch TV. I have to watch the Food Network. And they even put it on there. I'm, I'm, been moved. I'm not trying to be funny. I've been moved to the Cowboy Rodeo Channel. And I like that. That's good. God bless Texas. But you see what I'm talking about? But we think we can get away with this. Repent. Repent and come back to God. Repent. Repent. You want freedom? Repent. You want wholeness? Repent. You want to see God in your life? Repent. Let's pray.